Welcome to the Heart Kids podcast. Join us to hear stories of Australians affected by childhood heart conditions. My name is Rachel Knowles and I'm one of your hosts. I'm 24, I'm a journalist and I live with a congenital heart condition. To begin, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land in Warrung, otherwise known as Sydney. We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and the land that you're listening in from today. We pay our respects to the elders, past, present and emerging, and pass that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. Today's guest is Ebony Mallinson. Ebony was 19 when she had her first child, Millie, and 21 when she found out that Millie had a severe heart disease. Millie's condition was so serious that five years ago, at the age of three, she had a heart transplant. The operation was a success, and thanks to her new heart, Millie is now a happy and healthy almost nine-year-old. Her mum, Ebony, joins us today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for being here, Ebony. No worries. Look, you didn't find out about Millie's condition at birth, so she was two years when she was diagnosed. Tell me a little bit about Millie's condition and I guess the journey to actually getting your diagnosis. Yeah, so she was kind of in and out of our local hospital multiple times between the ages of three months to two years. So just before she was diagnosed, she always kind of had like respiratory issues. And because it was respiratory issues, they would just look at her lungs and be like, her lungs are fine. So she must just have a virus or a cold or whatever. But it wasn't until it was Mother's Day 2015, she woke up in the morning and she was puffy and kind of like in and out of consciousness. We took her back to the hospital and they're like, there could be something wrong with her kidneys or it could be her heart. And then after they did some further investigation, they found that she was in heart failure. My goodness. How how did you go in that moment? Because that's incredibly stressful. Um, I kind of just went straight into survival mode and I was like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what we need to do. What's going to go down? Where are we going to go? Rational, rational <laughs> forward planning. Nice. That's, yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And I guess at what stage was it after the fact that Millie had gone into heart failure that, that did the conversation of transplant come in? What was yeah, the timeline? so it was a few days after she was taken from our local hospital to the Royal Children's. We got her official diagnosis of left ventricular non-compaction cardiomyopathy. And when they told us this, they said, look, there is a chance that at some point in the future she will need a transplant, but we don't know when or if she will actually need one. So when did Millie need her transplant? So it was around the October 2015 that they were like, okay, she needs to be listed for transplant. She wasn't getting horrendously worse, but she wasn't improving. So like, look, at this point, she needs to be listed for a transplant. Yeah. What was it like to go so quickly from a diagnosis to a heart transplant? Um, I feel like because it all happened in the grand scheme of things relatively quickly, I didn't really get a chance to think and worry too much about it at the time. It was like, okay, now she needs a transplant. That's what we're doing. Okay. It wasn't yeah. until after the worst of it was all over and she'd had a transplant that I got to sit back and go, okay, that was insane. That must have been like, are they say like what it takes like six months for your body to come down from a stress state and to realise what's yeah. happened. And then to be in the stress state for 12 months. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I guess, yeah, in that moment, it would have been just like, a, this is what we have to do. Yeah. We don't have another option. This is what we do for our baby. Basically. So many people are like, how do you deal with it? How have you coped with it? I was like, you just 
do. You have to. I think, yeah, I think this is a beautiful. My mum and dad say the same kind of thing when they had conversations about my heart transplant and the doctor was like, well, you, not my transplant, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, my condition. They're like, you either get the surgery to intervene or you don't have a barb. This is the choice. And, yeah, the power of being able to make that decision is is incredible, absolutely incredible. So good on you for surviving and getting through and making those hard choices. Yeah. I guess, so what happened next? What was the process? I'm really interested um, for for Millie, who was so so young, uh, and for yourself supporting her through this. What was the process in the lead up to to the transplant? Um, For Millie, it was... Uh, scans, tests, blood tests and all that sort of stuff to make sure she was actually eligible to be listed for transplant and we had lots of sit-downs with the doctors and stuff to make sure that we as parents were capable of looking after a child who has had a transplant as well. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Yeah. So you had had that time in between the tests uh, and, and getting on, on the wait list. Um, in terms of preparation for the transplant was there was there particular things that you had to like Millie had to do um so she was in hospital for the first nine months that she had been put on the list because she was um dependent on IV medication um we then got uh, she was actually the first cardiac kid to use a cad pump for her medication and so we got to go home while she was on that medication which meant me doing her IV meds, line changes. She also had a nasogastric tube, so I was doing her feeds, oral medication, and once a week I was doing a finger prick blood test to check her blood thinner levels as well. The finger prick one is not nice. Yeah. It's not nice. No. <laughs> it's not. Especially when you get a little bub to do it too. I can imagine she wouldn't have enjoyed it. She honestly wasn't too bad. I feel like in the first two years of her life she was very sick. We just didn't know it. And then when she was diagnosed, she was also very sick. She kind of just went with it and just got used to it. We At some points, the nurses, when we were in hospital, they would come to do her blood tests in the morning and she'd still be asleep. And they're like, okay, we'll do it while she's asleep then. And they'd do a finger prick and she would wake up with a little box of Band-Aids next to her in her bed. Less. What was it? Yeah, I think... In terms of having Bob and not realising that she was ill um, at that point in time and then afterwards having that diagnosis of, wait a minute, you know, she, she, was, she was, wasn't well. Yeah, and, I mean, honestly, it kind of makes sense when we look back. She, we always just assumed she was a very placid baby and toddler. She slept through the night from, like, three weeks old. And as she got that little bit older, she was always happy to just kind of like sit down and read a book or just play on the floor in front of her. She was never that toddler that was just go, go, go. She was very, we thought she was placid. Turns out she was tired. What is, is she placid now? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes she is. Sometimes she is an attitude nine-year-old. You get the good and the bad, you (laughs) know. Exactly. Bless. In terms of that journey, that's a, that's huge. And to have Millie being a happy, moody nine-year-old yeah. uh, now, I I'm for, for yourself postpartum to have two years where she was quite, I suppose, placid, and then to have this really big thing happen. How did you manage your own mental health and your own journey 
Um, I definitely neglected my own mental health through most of it. I kind of just needed, I was focused on Millie instead of myself, which is understandable, obviously, but um, I definitely, looking back, wish I had have taken the time to worry about myself as well. I think that's the, it's a lot of pressure to have a new baby in the world and to look after them and then have to look after yourself, which doesn't kind of come second. It doesn't seem as important. Yeah, yeah. I guess was there a point in time that I suppose you you realised that you needed to look after yourself? Honestly, it probably wasn't until after she had her transplant because once she'd had her transplant, she the surgery went amazing. She recovered really well and everything was, well, as normal as it can be after your child's had a transplant. Um, and then I got to sit back and go, okay, I need to deal with myself now. Yeah. What did that look like? How did you, how did you start this? Step? Cause it's hard to, it's hard to realize it. And then it's hard to actually make the steps to, to do it. Yeah. What did the steps look like? Most of it was just talking to friends and family and just sitting with myself and kind of like working through all of the things that I didn't work through while she was in hospital and waiting for transplant. I think it's like it's a really interesting for you know little bubs who have their their mums and their dads be such big parts of their journey when they're little the the effect and the trauma on the mums and dads that have to make those survival decisions. Yeah, definitely. I remember there was at one stage she when she was really really unwell, she had to be given a medication, and they were like, "Look, you need to sign a form for us to be able to give this to her because it's not officially." approved for children but she needs it and so we had to go well do we do we do it um we we did um and it helped tremendously I think what choice do you have right like when you're in that situation it's okay I've got to take this choice and I've got to head down this road and this is the decision we're making yeah in terms of the process of the transplant I understand that you guys spent some time at Ronald McDonald House. Yeah, so we were in the hospital for what felt like forever and then we spent some time at Ronald McDonald House before we went home. But while Millie was in hospital, me and her dad Kyle, we lived at Ronald McDonald House. I I can remember back when I had my surgery, my mum used to say I was only one of the only heart kids at Ronald McDonald House. So thank you, Millie, for carrying on my <laughs> legacy. There's definitely a lot more heart kids at Ronnie Mac now. Yes, Ronnie Mac, amazing. The work amazing. that they do. Yeah, what was it like to kind of have that space? Because, yeah, it's such a hectic thing to go through and you don't want to have to go home and it was like yeah. to have that space. So it was, it was, it's very close to the hospital, but it was also like good to get out of the hospital but also still be around people that could empathise with what you were going through. Obviously, not everyone in there were heart families. There were people going through other transplants or cancer or any number of things. But, um, yeah, it was always good to be able to chat to other people, see what they were going through as well. Yeah, that sense of community, I feel like, when you're going through this stuff. It's so interesting that, you know, your stories can be entirely different and have nothing alike, but it's just the fact that you don't have to kind of, you don't have to translate for somebody else, they get it. Yeah, exactly. In terms of like Millie coming home and and the recovery process for her, how did did that go? You said it went really, really well. What did that actually, what did it look like? Yeah, so the surgery went really well. Her recovery was very quick. She was discharged 10 days after she had her transplant. So yeah, only in hospital for 10 days after she got a whole brand new heart. 
the first three months are the riskiest time in regards to things like getting illnesses and organ rejection and things like that. But she sailed through all of it without an issue. What is Millie like now? What does she like? What does she do? What is she interested in? Um, She loves Lego. Um, she also comes rock climbing with me occasionally. She's actually, her birthday party this weekend will be at rock climbing, reading, being silly with her friends, loves school. That's so nice. That's such a nice thing. And I think reflecting back on, I guess, that moment um, of that diagnosis and taking to the hospital and worried about what, what was happening and looking at her now, is it crazy to, to see that? Definitely. I look, I quite often think back to everything, especially, you know, you get your Facebook memories and it shows you the photos and I go, sometimes, some points it's like, it seems like yesterday, but in other ways it feels like a lifetime ago, almost like it didn't happen. It feels surreal, I guess. Yeah. It's, an, it's funny how like you can see the fa- Facebook memories. Uh, I love them, but I also hate them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> They're a bit of a curse, but it's so interesting how photos can kind of trigger that. Oh, wait a minute! It it was all those things that I feel about it when I get it, like get to some distance from it. I don't feel like it was that bad, or I don't feel like I was that upset, or I don't feel like it was such a big part of me. And you see that photo, and you're like, oh, wait a minute! Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess where you're at now, looking back on um. I suppose the way that you navigated looking after yourself, what is your advice to, to people who are trying to do the same or aren't quite sure how to take that step of accepting that maybe they need a little bit of help? Uh, build a community, whether it's your friends and family that you have outside of the hospital or it's people that you've met in the hospital or Ronald McDonald House, even online, um, it makes a massive difference. We had a nice group of people there were so many kids that were waiting for heart transplants at the same time as Millie and there were quite a few of us on a, I can't remember if it was a Tuesday or a Thursday night, we would go down to a local pub once we'd got all the kids settled and asleep in the hospital for the night, we'd go down to the local pub for steak night for dinner or uh, there was I think five of us mums who one day we got all the dads to take, if the dads were working still, we got the dads to take the day off work, stay at the hospital with the kids, and we went on a winery tour. I love that. Do you do you still have contact with some of these people? I do, yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. So, yes, build a community because they will be your go-to because they will understand what you're going through. Um, in terms of, I guess, Millie understanding her heart transplant, I my parents told me when I was little that I have a hole in my heart. That's not technically what I have, but I still tell people that to, to this day um, because that's just something that's in my brain about that was how it was explained to me as a and kid. It, I mean, it's easier for people outside of the community to understand it too. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like quoting the, the scientific term, sometimes I don't even, not even. Yeah. But in explaining to Millie, her heart transplant how have you how have you done that so she hasn't actually asked too many questions about it but um we told her she she knew that she had a sick heart and she had to get a new one so she had a transplant and um she asked us relatively early on where her heart came from and we told her it came from her donor angel but it never really went any further than that and I mean when the day comes that she asks more questions about it I will go more in depth with her but she hasn't I think that's a beautiful thing I think like growing up you know this is it's such a big part of who you are but it also like you get to choose 
how much of this is your identity. I think it's a beautiful thing that, you know, yeah. she will come to you when she's she wants yeah. to have that conversation and the door's yeah. open for her. Definitely. I understand as well that only part of the CHD journey is, is with Millie. You have another bub yes. that has a diagnosis as well. Yeah, so just before my son Eli turned two, Millie's cardiologist were like, look, we don't think it's genetic. We had genetic testing and everything done. But, like, just to completely rule it out, we'll get him an echo. Right? All right, sweet. No worries. We'll get it done, rule it out, then we don't have to worry about it. Turns out we have to worry about it. So he has been diagnosed with the exact same heart condition that Millie was, but at least luckily for now he is stable. His heart function is fine. He's not needing any medication he just has a checkup at the Royal Children's Hospital every six months. And what are the odds? I, I guess in terms of like Millie and, and Eli, is there a difference in terms of I suppose the the way that Eli is? Is he quite placid or is he? No, he is a <laughs> bounce off the walls. Need to have him either in a pram or attached to a little child harness so he doesn't run out onto the road. Boys, very much. So obviously, <laughs> there's a big difference in the fact that Millie was very sick at his age and he isn't but also there is a massive difference between boys and girls I think yeah what was it like to I suppose get that diagnosis having going through such a traumatic thing with with Millie to have the diagnosis again but have this play out very differently yeah so I definitely cried more when Eli got his diagnosis than I did with Millie Millie I was in shock and I was young and I don't think I fully understood at all in the beginning when she was first diagnosed. Whereas with Eli, because I've seen everything that Millie's had to go through, it was very much, it was very upsetting to hear that maybe he was going to have to follow the same path. But at least for now, he's well and happy and active. Something that I like to think about a lot when I talk or talk to people who have experiences around CHD is the concept of having to live with that question mark. And and for you with Eli as well, I, I think it's a really beautiful thing that you seem quite resilient in the fact that, no, we know where we are, we know what we're doing, and the question yeah. mark is okay. I definitely think the, having gone through it before makes it harder, but having gone through it before also makes it easier because I know what can happen, I know what to look for. So if he did ever start to become unwell, we can get on top of it before he gets as sick as Millie did. How old is he now? He is three so yeah. three and nine, your yeah. household would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Are they friends? Sometimes. <laughs> it's always a lot easier for the kids to be friends when they're closer together, when there's a bigger age gap. It's a little bit, they don't like the same things and that sort of stuff, but they definitely love each other. Yeah, they're, not always, yeah, they're not always friends, but they do love each other. There is a tolerance that's come from love. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. I understand that you are training as a paramedic. Yeah, I am definitely influenced by everything we've been through. Health has always interested me, but it's definitely been influenced. And yeah, I'm currently doing my diploma of paramedical science. That is so cool. That is amazing. I guess, yeah, in terms of, I think it's so beautiful that this can kind of come out of such a crazy thing that happened to your family. Yeah. Are you, what are you loving about it? All of it. The learning is hard. The learning part of it I don't like, but I like the things that I am learning, if that makes sense. Yeah. The studying, don't rate it, but love figuring things out. 
Yeah. Beautiful. Is the it's like the goal to to be a paramedic? Yeah, definitely. So I'm doing the diploma now, and then once I finish that, I can be a non-emergency medic. So do patient transport, and you know, you medics at festivals and concerts and sporting events and things like that. And then I will do my bachelor of paramedicine. Beautiful. So what was it about paramedicine as opposed to, I suppose, yeah, going into like a GP position? What was it about the paramedicine side? Um, I think the the massive variation in the patients that I will eventually see and also the fast-paced and adrenaline and all that sort of things as well because apparently I do well in high-stress situations. No, like urgency, you've been known to survive very, very well. Yeah. <laughs> you've gotten through. <laughs> Oh, that's so cool. Oh, well, congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, I guess for you, how, uh, how are you now with, with your bubs and studying and living life uh, compared to, you know, the journey of having to look after yourself? Where, where are you at now? Um, definitely a lot better. I know I'm better in myself. The family as a whole is better and everything. And it still runs relatively smoothly and... Other than the medical side of things, it's just like a normal little family. We just have to go to the hospital regularly. (laughs) Just a few more doctor's appointments than everybody else. But other than that, life is good. Beautiful. Ah, wonderful. Thank you so much. You have been wonderful. Thank you. This podcast deals with some heavy things. If this brings up anything for you or somebody that you love, it's important to reach out for help. The Heart Kids Helpline provides support advice and guidance for people impacted by childhood heart disease. You can call the helpline on 1800 432 785. To access more information about childhood heart disease as well as support from Heart Kids, visit the website heartkids.org.au. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice from your doctor or healthcare team. Always talk to your doctor about matters that affect your health or your family's health.